Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Todd Mulliken is my guest today for the hour. He's a counselor and author, and he's a speaker on marriage and families. But more importantly, he brings Rosie and I a beverage every time he comes on the show. So thankful <laughs> which, for that, Todd. Which <laughs> might be part of the reason Todd's on. I was <laughs> always wondering about that. But... Oh, yeah. no. You're wondering no. why you keep getting asked back? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, might, I know. it might. is a little perk. I have yeah. to admit, I do look forward to it. I know, well, and, that's I, good. and what was I was complaining earlier, wasn't it, Rosie, about you just were. being a little hungry, and I didn't have yeah. any uh, studio food laying around. So, I thought, oh, my well, drawer I, is empty too. Yeah, so I thought, oh yeah, but Todd brings me a latte. That'll take the edge off. Nice, and nice. keep me awake tonight. <laughs> so good. Yeah, nice to have you on, Todd. Thank you, sir. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. So I know we're going to continue some of our discussions uh, from last time. We talked about personality disorders, and that's you know challenging. But I think the world has gotten um, more more troubled. There's more anxiety. There's more. Uh, I think people emerging with personality disorders. To be honest, yeah, you would know better than me because you got an office full of people talking to you about problems. Yeah. Personality disorders are pretty significant. They're uh, more, uh, we don't see as many of them as we do people with anxiety or depression or ADHD or um, some of those more common disorders. But to have a personality disorder, you have to have a chronic maladaptive pattern of behavior. So it's not uh, an occasional kind of struggle. It's an ongoing struggle. Maybe we could talk about that today um, with a focus on narcissistic personalities. Sure. That's one of the... Last time I think we did borderline personality disorder, yeah, which we is really common. And the other one that's very common is narcissistic personality disorder. So, and I, I'll just throw it out like, I think I've heard that word in my office almost as much as I've heard trauma the last five or 10 years. Is the word narcissistic? Yeah. Where people are... They're bringing that word to you. Yes. They are saying my son-in-law, my brother, oh, wow. my uh, my spouse, my friend... And we're we're kind of throwing it around pretty loose, or like it's if we've been hurt by somebody, if they're fairly rigid or if they're fairly dominating, kind of they're narcissistic, right? What do you think they're meaning? Do you think they're they're just being a bully, or yeah, I think they're feeling the person is feeling bullied, they're feeling controlled, they're yeah. feeling like there's rigidity coming from the other person, uh, and if that person who was telling me this also went through their own trauma growing up it's even louder because now they're experiencing it again through a friend or through a spouse or through an extended family member that they've experienced trauma with earlier in life. Mm-hmm. So it's louder, it's noisier. And so I guess I'm just saying we're hearing that word a lot. And I started speaking on narcissism in 2002. And boy, I would say the last five or 10 years, like 10 years, like I've mentioned, it's, it's very commonly thrown out now. It, you know, like, hey, you're this, they're that. And I just think it's good to talk about, hey, what does it actually mean? What doesn't it mean? And uh, why does it happen? How does it happen in somebody's story? Well, I'm not surprised we look for words of convenience that we can use as labels. 
Yeah. And you hear a description of somebody and the response might be, well, that guy sounds pretty narcissistic. Correct. And do we even know what we just said? Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. Or we maybe look up a, a post on that and we kind of become experts in what it is. Mm-hmm. So that's how do we, how should we use some of this time today, Todd, about... Mm. Uh, do you want to discuss narcissistic personalities? I know there's, what is there, nine markers or seven? There's nine symptoms. There's yeah. nine symptoms. Mm-hmm. Could we get through those oh, for sure. quickly? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I'll, why don't I just run through them quick and then... Do you, do you, do you know these from memory? Yeah, it's really scary, isn't it? That is yeah. kind of scary, yeah. <laughs> so I'll the... sip on my beverage. You, you give us nine. <laughs> I'll try to keep you awake. No, no, so, no I'm wide awake. And I'm just per- saying, you do most of the talking. Okay, the first... Uh, in, in other words, in order to meet this personality disorder, the person has to have at least five of these nine. Okay. So I think it's important to say that up front because sometimes somebody that we're living with may have one of these symptoms, and that way we would just call that a trait or they would have maybe a mild narcissistic condition. Okay. If they have all nine, then we're more on the very severe narcissistic end, more vulnerable to what we call psychopathy or sociopathy, meaning they're very there's intentionality around the manipulation and the control. It's premeditated. Yeah. It's deep and severe. So You've got you to stop using big word op- op- opathy with opathy me. Opathy yeah. <laughs> I promise, never again. Okay, good. Yeah. So the first one is they expect to be acknowledged for things greater than they do. So, you know, you have a friend who's uh, always bringing the conversation back to themselves, and when you play golf with them, they usually tell you they got a score that for sure they didn't get. <laughs> and, they want to, and they really want to be acknowledged for that. Yeah. So it's not just a pattern on the golf course. It's a pattern throughout their story in their relationship. So they're, they're bringing, they're kind of in a room full of mirrors. So they're bringing the conversation back to them and then wanting acknowledgement for something they did that was even beyond what they did. That's the first symptom. Second symptom is they're preoccupied, keyword, with fantasies of power, brilliance, success, beauty, and ideal love. So that's somebody that is, you know, for example, they could be vulnerable to the preoccupation with success or power and the preoccupation is I just can't get enough of it. I'm, I'm living for it. I'm defined by it. And I'm putting my needs about, uh, for that on other people. And actually, Bill, the first book I wrote was on affairs. And honestly, the people I've worked with who have been in affairs or most people that are in affairs, they really do meet that second symptom of narcissistic personality disorder because it is a preoccupation with ideal love. Mm. They feel like they've found ideal love. They married the wrong person. They have this passionate affair going on. And they're really obviously deceived. And um, But they're really on what I call a fair island. Those two people go on their own island. It's us against the world. So... If, if you know, you've been through a situation where you've been betrayed and that person really is seemingly lost, it's oftentimes because they're just hyper-focused on this ideal love they found, whereas actually, you know, they're in iniquity and just, you know, overwhelmed and not doing well. Yeah, in a state of sin. Exactly. Yeah. The third symptom is uh, they think they're a big deal, so almost like class, classism kind of, like I, I'm a big deal and you just don't really get it. So kind of patronizing people around them, they believe they're unique and special mm-hmm. and they really are kind of a big deal. And so they kind of come off like that and they, even if they kind of are patronizing about it, it still comes back to they really think they're a pretty big deal. They're kind of in a room full of mirrors. 
The fourth symptom is more tricky. It's an excessive need to be admired. So I think the way that comes out is they're hypersensitive to any criticism and their capacity to love others isn't as great as their need to be loved, their need to be acknowledged, their need to be right. So they're very hypersensitive to any criticism. Uh, Their deep need to be admired is really deep. So it's an excessive need to be admired. We all mm-hmm. want to be admired, mm-hmm. but an excessive need to be admired. Mm-hmm. The fifth is a sense of entitlement where they expect automatic compliance to their wishes and they expect extra favorable treatment to their demands. So they make demands, not requests. So you know you're living with somebody that really has some narcissistic edges if they really come off in a very demanding way versus a, you know, a, making requests and interactions with each other. So there's, but there's a deep sense of entitlement and rigidity around it. So I see that a lot in my mm-hmm. office, that sense of entitlement. Uh, the sixth is they uh, will exploit others. So I would offer like if it's a mild narcissist, they don't wake up saying, who am I going to exploit today? It just means at the end of the day, they'll want to get their way. And, and you know, everybody wants to kind of get their own way. I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves, but mm-hmm. they will exploit somebody else to get their own way. A severe narcissist will be premeditated about it. Does that make sense? They're thinking ahead of time, how is this in my best interest? How do I go about manipulating this person and exploiting them for my own benefit? Mm. I can see that's not good. No. The seventh is probably the toughest one to treat, but something that we can all probably understand if we're living in it or we know somebody who has this illness is that it's a, a lack of willingness to be empathetic and an inability to recognize that they're not empathetic. So that key piece is how do we uh, treat that where they're non-empathetic and they, they don't realize they're not and they don't have a – and they also if you're confronting them on it, they they have uh, really not an interest in doing that. The Ouch, eight, that hurts. It, it does. Because you end up with wounded feelings, especially if there's been some kind of outburst, right? Right. And you could really uh, use an apology and I hope you see that my feelings have been hurt. Maybe you don't, but if you don't, and I tell you my feelings were hurt, and they, then they still don't care, that's brutal. That's really hard. Yeah. For sure. The eighth symptom is they are jealous of others, but the second half of its work, it's a little bit like, oh, and they think others are jealous of them. So I don't know about you, but I I can't remember the last time I woke up and looked in the mirror and said, well, here's the 14 people that I think are jealous of, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, get back to me if we're doing that, right? So it's... a Combo platter. I think we mm-hmm. all have vulnerabilities, right, to be jealous of others sometimes. And yeah. We're not really in a good spot in our faith and our walk with the Lord. But I think that second part is where it really gets pretty big, where we're, they're really thinking yeah, others are just jealous of who I am. Yeah. And then the ninth and final symptom kind of summarizes it. They are, have an arrogant, they come off with an arrogant kind of haughty behaviors. So those are all nine of them. And mm-hmm. that's really what they are. In other words, In other words, I think we've got a lot of... Um, people that are diagnosing people where, well, if they're a little bit this or a little bit that, then they're, they have a narcissistic personality disorder. And these are the nine symptoms. They're not 45 symptoms. Yeah. These are the nine. So let's deal with what these are. Right. And if you have one, it's a trait. It's not a, a disorder. A disorder. Right. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's really important to remember that. Yeah, that's good. That's helpful. Todd Mullican is my guest. You can learn more about Todd at his website, toddmullican.com. He's a counselor in the Minnesota area of Edina. But that doesn't mean he's not available online. You can always access 
his uh, counseling services at toddmullican.com. We'll take a short break and be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. My guest today is Todd Mulligan. He's sitting just across the studio from me, which makes me happy because Todd's my friend. And we're talking today about a personality disorder with a focus on narcissistic personalities. And we just, uh, Todd just gave out nine uh, sort of, what would you call them? They're the nine symptoms nine of symptoms. narcissistic personality yeah. so disorder. So you, yeah. you might have one, which would just make it a trait, not a, not a condition. So uh, it begs the question, Todd, what causes this um, condition? What causes someone to become a narcissist? Yeah, I think, you know, there's several patterns we see, but I would say one of the loudest patterns is, and remember that when we talked about personality disorders last time, usually somebody has a personality disorder because the root cause is chronic trauma in their childhood. So typically what I've seen is somebody that has grown up in a situation where they have had They've been bullied quite pretty significantly in the home, and the home is just not really a very safe place. There's lots of rage and uh, emotional or literal, literal pots and pans being thrown, and it's pretty chaotic. and It's and it's a chronic pattern of it, with typically one of the parents while the other parents while the other parent watches and defers and minimizes and deflects. So uh, when the person is exposed to that and bumps into that regularly and is somebody that is maybe trying to confront that parent or avoid that parent, they end up not never winning any kind of interaction with that parent. In other words, they're, they're really shamed and demeaned and bullied, or I'm, you're never going to measure up to anything, you know, that kind of thing. And it doesn't mean everybody that experiences that comes out as a narcissist, but it means that's one of the table setters because now they want to win every fight. They didn't win any fights. Now they want to win every fight. When somebody is disagreeing with them, they're not disagreeing with them. They're attacking them again like they were attacked in the kitchen emotionally. Mm. So when somebody says, hey, I was kind of bummed this happened yesterday, and how did, you know, they feel attacked by that, not disagreed with. So there's sensitivity there, and that's why they will come out with a strong need to be right on a topic or a stance to the point where there's no empathy with the other person's perspective. Yikes, that is hurtful. Makes sense. So, yeah. We, so, Jesus would see that person, the story they came from, and the brokenness that they have deep, 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 deep down. That has really been, you know, covered up by this dominant kind of style that they have. So oftentimes that's what we see. Now sometimes you will see what we refer to as more of the internal narcissist who avoids, deflects, and does all those nine symptoms but is quiet about it. But that's not as often what you actually see. Uh, the second way we see a bill not as often is if they grew up with a strong sense of entitlement and really kind of got everything they want whenever they wanted it and it was always somebody else's fault 
So it wasn't ever the fact that they just made a mistake. It was the pastor's fault. It was the coach's fault. It was the teacher's fault. And so there's a permissive parenting style that's so excessive that uh, the person has entitlement and they continue to have entitlement and they've always been right and they'll continue to always be right. But usually I haven't found that person to be quite as like excessive need to be admired kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, so when the person has deep, deep shame from their story growing up and it comes out as a fighter, a winner, get out of my way, I'm running you over with a truck emotionally, I don't care what you think, it's usually a bounce off of of a lot of trauma growing up. Mm Mm-hmm. Great comment uh, from a listener. Mm. Uh, Rosella writes this, and it's almost like she bugged the studio during the break because mm. how else could she know? We were talking about this mm. during the break, and she said a woman said that if a man acts this way, we call it narcissism, but if a woman acts this way, we call it borderline personality. <laughs> That's exactly what we talked about. Yeah. Please yeah. ask Todd what he thinks of that comment. I think she's right on. Mm-hmm. So what we've done in my field poorly, and now we're getting better at it, is remember we talked last time about borderline personality disorder this very this border of love and hate they are get they're overly enmeshed with somebody and then they can't stand the person so it's a lot more moody and dysregulated it doesn't mean narcissists can't be moody they are but yeah we have we've missed out on some male borderlines and we go too quickly to the female when they're dysregulated and having a chronic pattern of hey we don't know what we got the affect is really unstable which person are we seeing today? We go right to the borderline card too quickly versus, no, there could be a lot of lack of empathy, a haughtiness about it, and it could be more narcissistic. And so we miss out on narcissism with the, with the women sometimes, and we miss out on borderline with the men sometimes. Mm-hmm. And maybe you just answered this question, but another question, are more narcissists men or women? Yeah, and maybe you just answered. It. Yeah, I think we'll we'll see newer research on that. I mean, it's still a small segment of the population. I think that's the thing I get most frustrated with is people are when they've been really hurt by somebody, they usually go to the narcissism card pretty quickly and look up some symptoms and they've seen that person and they're very worse. You know, in marriage you see the very worst of the person. I mean, we, you see the very worst of the person. And so in some other and if they're not that way in other areas of their life, it's prob- it doesn't mean they're not a narcissist. Maybe they are. <laughs> but it may mean that, you know, from their hurt mindset, they struggle with their own issues. And and what I think what's really hard is when both people think the other person is a narcissist. And then we really want to back up the train and say, let's create a safer way to talk with each other about things. But mm-hmm. So I would say um, that uh, still we would say that more men have that, and that's what we see in clinical trials, but I think we still have to be careful of that lens and not and realize more women have it than we think. Mm-hmm. Todd, as I'm looking at this list of nine, I, I practically see memory verses from Scripture popping into mm. my, my mind for every one of these. Mm. You, know, you think of jealous of others. You go, well, thou shalt not covet, right? Mm. And then others are jealous of them. That would only apply to like Tom Brady, right? <laughs> Because he must get up and go, there must be guys that are jealous of me. <laughs> you know, I'm not even a commentator yet, no. and, and I signed a $350 million deal with Fox. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I've still got another year to play. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. But lack of willingness to be empathetic. You know, you think of uh, Ephesians 4.32, instead be kind and tenderhearted mm. toward one another, mm. forgiving one another. Um, and just, uh, you know, the, what the Bible teaches about pride and this excessive need to be admired. I mean, there's the fall of man. You read through people's stories in Scripture, and boy, 
if he just wasn't so full of himself, he might not have taken such a hard fall. Correct. Well said. And mm. I think that's why we don't see much treatment success with narcissism because we, we tend to, you know, they tend to can hear from the therapist what they're not. And the only success I've seen with people that have narcissism is to really see if eventually they will own at some point deep, deep down from earlier in their story, they, they're, now they're creating a home that what is what they grew up in and they didn't want to. And when I've seen a narcissist change, it's usually because he or she has been confronted by one by their teenage kid or their adult kid and said, Dad, I'm scared to be around you or Mom. You know, you always have to be right and you are controlling my life and my early marriage to the point where my my husband and I just want to do something different on Christmas. Is it okay? No, this is the way we do things. We've always done it that way and you're disowning me. You know, so there the that kind of but when you look back at their story, we see kind of so what helps is when that person slows down and says and is confronted by their adolescent kid or a young adult. And then what we need ready for it is we need the spouse to stop enabling that behavior and say, "Ooh, you know, I really, uh, hon, or you know, I I see what they're saying, and that's what I've been seeing a lot of through my story with you." And it's kind of like a, a little mini intervention. Doesn't mean, oh, now we're all set, but it means they really have to look in the mirror and say, "Gal, I actually am creating a, a kitchen or a living room." that is as scary as what I grew up in and I'm doing it and I see it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's the only time when they kind of get to that step one, if you will, like an alcoholic does where they realize, Oh my gosh, I am broken and I am powerless over this. And I am repeating the pattern that I saw growing up, but it's pretty rare that they'll get there. Mm-hmm. It takes something that significant to ha- to happen to them is what I've seen at least. Yeah, Todd, I can imagine even these nine traits being read is causing pain for listeners. Yeah. Especially if they're coming out or have gone through a relationship where they mm. were they were um, exhausted by these traits from yeah. someone. That's abusive. It is. Yeah, it's painful. Yeah. A lot of abuse there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the, the main pattern of yeah. what it is. So those are a couple of the ways that this this illness develops is through chronic trauma growing up and or a strong sense of entitlement growing up. And then I would also say, Bill, like when I've seen with people that have a lot of success in their life Mm -hmm. or, you know, in athletics or in corporate life, and they really continue to be doted on when you're 19 and 20 and the carpet's rolled out for you. And it doesn't mean everybody turns into a narcissist. It just means like, boy, you know, careful. You you get used to first-class treatment. You do. And you like it. Yep. And who doesn't, right? Yeah. Absolutely. You got to keep it in perspective. And I know there might be someone with a question for Todd. Maybe you are involved with a person that is a narcissist. And after listening to these nine traits, you have a question about one of them or all of them. You can certainly text the question over to 877-933-2484, And I'll just say as we go to break... The verse of the day is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Mm. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control.
Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. It is the afternoon show. Thank you for uh, joining me today. My guest is in studio, uh, Todd Mulliken. You can learn more about Todd at toddmulliken.com. M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N. He just gave me a big thumbs up. Thumbs yeah, up that's so a I, hard name I spelled to spell. Right. Yeah. It is. It's not easy. No. Yeah. Is it Mulliken, Mulliken? Mulligan. Mulligan. Yeah, right. Yeah, so it's important that I say it slowly and spell it. Appreciate the yeah. articulation, yeah. sir. All right, Todd, let's see. Uh, a couple of things come in, have just come in. How often do narcissism and addiction go together? Mm. I'm aware dual diagnosis are so often the case, and addiction is just a symptom of the deep issues. Such wise I know, listeners. I know. So the last 10 years or 15 years, we've talked about co-occurring disorders. It's one of the classes I help teach at a local university. And co-occurring disorders means there is a substance use issue going on as well as a mental health use going on and uh, uh, issue that's going on and they're co-occurring. Mm-hmm. So this person beautifully articulated that you can have somebody that has narcissistic edges and also be an addict or what's causing is the addiction and the impulse to the desire to drink causing the person to have narcissistic edges, you know, or is the narcissism making them vulnerable to drink? But chicken or egg, we're not really that concerned about. We're at work, we want to work on how do we soften both of those edges, right? How do we help both the addict and the narcissist get to that step one of an acknowledgement that they're powerless over this and yielding their life, you know, to God and bringing the Lord into the process every single step of the way. (laughs) And that's the traction I've seen with people that choose to get better is they have been committed to a spiritual practice, not overnight, but over a couple of years of really recognizing that God's God and they're not, and how are they yielding to that in the same way of kind of the 12 steps. So great, great question. Mm -hmm. Another one, my oldest sister has never apologized for anything that I know of. And as long as I play my role amongst my siblings as Pollyanna, and never confronted her lies or her wrong behavior, she talked to me as if I walked on water. But once I stood up to her, and this was recently, she has stopped talking to me. Mm. Is she a borderline? Mm. What's going on there? Yeah, good question. I mean, I could see, I'd need to know more, but you could either do borderline or narcissist in that area. Um, The excessive need to be admired would be one of the symptoms that I think comes out there when you remember I mentioned that four symptom and excessive need to be admired. And so when you are challenged at all, you don't view it as a disagreement, you view it as an attack on you. So a question would maybe would be is like, if she's the oldest, was there a pattern in there with the, the parental system at all where one parent always was right and the other par- parents said whatever? And you know, was there a, appeasing in the home? And maybe mm-hmm. there wasn't, you know, but. Sometimes that's how it's evolved, and then the oldest picks that up in the mail, and the other people are walking around on glass. So yeah, my book, Being Right Versus Being Like, talks about exactly what that great listener said, is they're in that role of, as long as I go along to get along, then we're fine. But if I upset the apple cart, then we have, you know. It's not much relationship, off. is it? No. Yeah. And so, you know, how how do we walk alongside that? How do we 
you know, take that next step, not to get codependent on her sister's response, but as your listener is enough in Christ and loves the Lord and knows like, hey, this isn't okay, you would try again not to, because it's on you to try again, but say like, Al, you know, you shutting me out was really hard and I'm stuck and I'm really sad about it. And I was just letting you in about how I felt. Mm -hmm. And so I feel really shut out. And that might not help either, but I'm enough as a child of God to go like, yeah, that was really hurtful. You shut me out. So, Mm -hmm. but what she just said there, Bill, is a common issue, a common issue. Uh, Not all of the children are narcissistic. One kind of becomes that, and the others are walking around in glass a yeah. lot of times. When a person absolutely hates being challenged, now nobody likes criticism, but no. between loved ones, if you're challenging me, I should be kind and I should listen and I should try to understand what it is you're trying to say to me. A big deal. Pardon? It's a big It's a big deal. I, I think so too. I mean, and that's a good call out for us, right? If we're on we're on the receiving end, I've always said it's easier to say something difficult to somebody than it is to hear something difficult about yourself, you know. <laughs> but when we're on the receiving end, Bill, how am I doing with just trying to understand what they're saying? Because I know that I'm loved, accepted, and approved by God, and that you know I'm thinking about the fact that you know whatever is true, noble, of excellence, of praise. I'm thinking on those things, and that's how that's how God sees me. So I'm in this moment where somebody is frustrated or criticizing me about something. Like, well, what do you got? Yeah. And again, it's hard to do that, but if we're preparing ourselves for that, then we can enter into it that way. What, Todd, if I believe that I am the voice of authority and I'm the correct one in this family? So if I am a healthy person, you know, and a Christ follower, which I am, and I I believe I'm right about this issue, I, I get to say, like, oh, I, this is how I see it, and I think this makes sense, and I think this is way it is, what are some other people's perspectives, right? So I, I, if I'm comfortable enough saying that I'm right about that, then I, I need to be comfortable enough to ask for other people's perspective because my goal as a healthy leader is to create a place where other people feel comfortable saying what's on their mind, right? Right. So if that's, and that's the big deal for us, if for those of us that are knowing we, we kind of get, we kind of think we know what's going on here, then let's make sure we know what's going on in the fruits of the spirit way, Right. And, you know, I'm thinking of Philippians 4, verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. So my, I have a strong feeling about something and I say it, like that listener said so well, then I'd want to go, but what are some other people's perspective? We're We're not having to do that every single time, but we just want to make sure, and I, you know, I'm, I can be guilty of this as a firstborn type and my spouse is that way. So we, we're really careful about, hey, you know, we got some strong feelings on this. Are we creating an interaction? Or are we just going to kind of be a last word Larry and a last word Lorraine? Mm-hmm. You know? Todd Mullican is my guest, and you can go to toddmullican.com. As a matter of fact, he's written a book on uh, this very topic called Being Right Versus Being Liked, The Impact of Narcissism and Codependency on Couples and Families. You can learn more about that at toddmullican.com. Here's a Message, Todd, my husband is a victim of an accused violent alcoholic and has suffered much of his life with the PTSD, um, mostly in regard to interpersonal relationships. All right. So since becoming saved, he's found powerful transformation in his thinking through memorizing God's word and prayer. Do you think that replacement of lies with the truth of God's word is a source of healing for the traumatized? Big time. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. And what he's doing there, 
he's doing so beautifully. He's not just continuing to talk about what happened to him, but he's going to the source of his life, Jesus, to to learn what God has done for him. And that's what I find myself saying quite a bit. I may even mention that last time. Am I being defined by what's happened to me? Or my be, or my you know being defined by what God has done for me. It's not an either or, but like when we've been through that much trauma, and and this this readers uh, this listener said it so well. I can't imagine what he went through, but his receiving the love and the mercy of God and through His Word and just breathing that in, and you know, and, and eating that in the Word every day. That's what I've seen as a transformative move, not overnight, but over time. Mm-hmm. And what happens is the new stories of love kind of soften the, the the darkness of pain and abuse and violence. You know, we're restored by the love, whereas if we're just continuing to talk about the violence that happened to us only and coming up with other ways that happened to us, which we need to sort that out and work through that in therapy, and we then get to run towards the light and breathe in what is true now. So, yeah, I completely concur with that, listener, and it's great story to hear. Mm-hmm. We need to hear stories like that that are uh, out there. It's, it's very strong. So, Todd, maybe we can transition a little bit into how do we live with people that we're going to look at and say, boy, there's narcissistic tendencies here. There's This is a hard person to live with, and things aren't improving. Well, it, you know, nothing works great, but here's what doesn't work is avoiding the mess you know, what doesn't work is just continuing to accommodate and appease. But, but what if the person who you need to confront is not in the least bit interested in having you confront them? Right. And yeah. it's going to drive things deeper and worse. So but we're, what we're doing, you know, at least on our side of the street, we're confronting what's happened to us and how we are experiencing what's happening and then what we need. And you're right, Bill, when we say that they're going to feel like something's coming at them again from a dominant parent that shamed them and bullied them. So they're going to feel bullied again. So we know that, we see that, we understand that about their story. And I'm not doing this to bully my spouse or bully my sister or brother. I'm doing it to let them in about what's going on right here. And I'm not, and you know, and I love you and I'm for you, but this is how it felt and this is where I'm at. And sure, it's not going to go well the first couple of times. They're going to feel like they're being attacked. And then what we're going to do with the next time we see them is just so you know, and I hear, I see how that landed for you, but that clearly wasn't my intention. Well, I don't believe you anyway. Gotcha. But just letting you know I'm for you. I love you. I just, I just need to have you, when you talk to me about this issue, I just need, I need it to be more gentle. I love you. But, you know, so I'm going to stay in my traction and I'm not going to be defined by their reaction. I'm going to be defined by my intention. What about the people listening that think right now, Oh my, we've never spoken that way to each other. Right. I'm going to sound like I'm from outer space if I say that. Yes. Especially the way Todd just said it. Yeah. And so, and again, we're not looking for a, a one-off, right? We're not looking for, we got to have one big conversation. We're just starting, you know, like that other listener, what, what her spouse did. He just started, you know, the first day he read the word, it wasn't like he, all of a sudden, all the past trauma was quieter, right? He just kept with it. He kept being steadfast with it. And what I've seen happen, it's interesting, is that when the codependent gets more honest, it's the only thing that may make the person that's been in a trauma-based life their whole life and now taking it out on their new family, it's the only thing that might make them look in their own mirror. But that's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it just to create a boundary and 
protect myself and to let them in about how it feels. And that's a start. It's a new start. So the other way is just to do what that other listener said is I'm just kind of acquiescing and I'm just walking on glass. And as long as I do that, we're fine. And that just kind of continues and nothing's changing. And then the kids that, and that's my book talks about the impact on the children if the spouse doesn't at least create a boundary and even though it might get worse before it gets better. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Todd Mulliken today about personality disorders, especially ones that are associated with a narcissistic behavior. And if you have any questions about that, you can send the uh, question over via text to 877-933-2484. And we'll be right back. Thanks so much for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. If you enjoy what you're finding here, consider subscribing to some of our other Faith Radio podcasts, like mine, for instance. You can search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Welcome back to the show. Todd Mulliken's with me. We're glad that he is talking about um, ways in which we can live with narcissists. And if you know someone in your life that maybe is has some of those qualities, that might be something you need to learn more about. I, another question that came in, um, Todd, let me see if I can find it now. Went away so fast. Um, can children, can narcissistic personality disorder occur in children? We usually do not diagnose a personality disorder until they are an adult because things are evolving and they are their personality is taking shape and adolescent egocentrism is very common. So a lot of adolescents will have will be very egocentric and very in a room full of mirrors. So doesn't mean all of them are, but no, we don't diagnose a child or an adolescent with a narcissistic personality disorder. Mm-hmm. But we we can notice if there are edges there that are concerning, then we want to just continue to reward empathy, continue to reward um, service to others when they're doing that. The other thing that I found to be helpful a little bit is when they get outside of themselves and start serving other people a little bit, that can be a a helpful change. Another question I have is um, if, if the children can have these traits, who's modeling these traits? Yeah. They just might be doing what they've learned. Correct. Yeah, it's, I would say one pattern that I've seen a fair amount of is uh, a a dominant parent. What I mean by dominant, Bill, is that, you know, there's need to be right. There's not interactions with the kids or with the spouse. It's just more my way of the highway kind Mm -hmm. of. That's what I mean by dominant. Okay. And so if one of the kids kind of is more expressive too and they get in, get into it with that parent and they're going at it back and forth, back and forth, then they're going to come out of that home, you know, pretty ready to go. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they're going to become out a fighter and they usually didn't get the last word with their parent and now they're going to get the last word with their spouse. So we really want to, that's why my book talks about, whoa, you know, what we get to do here is really change that generation in the home. We get to really like, so, and Bill, something that research shows a lot of is that I know 
like if I've got mental health issues and I'm, a, and I'm a parent, the best thing I can do is just go to the Lord with it and really get good help for that. So my edges of anxiety or depression or narcissistic edges, whatever my edges are, I'm really softening those through my own work. And that's the best gift I can give to the generation below me. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I've been confronted by my spouse that, golly, gal- you know, this is a pattern behavior that I'm really worried about, then hopefully I, I know I'm enough in Christ to just go, well, let me check that out. And talk to a professional about that and see what he or she thinks and bring my spouse in and let's figure this out so we're not defined by it, but we're making changes together. Now, in extreme cases of narcissism, Bill, what I mean, like where they have all, you know, seven to nine symptoms, we're really much more in like, a, you know, it's almost like dealing, if you will, you know, that person was living with that's really going to feel very codependent on the mood and and just being dominated or being shut out severely. And so they they need to create some boundaries of the honest conversation, pulling back a little bit, trying different things, but knowing that their self-concept in Jesus, their identity in Jesus is not defined by the person that's living with me. So I have to really make sure I'm clear about that boundary, like, hey, I see this person for the issues they've had. Here's the boundaries I'm setting up. Uh, It goes as far as, you know, I need us to get help as a couple, uh, and I'm serious about it. And usually the narcissist won't go initially. Then I recommend the codependent to go and create his or her own traction and their own boundaries and get kind of strong, you know, and settled in their faith mm-hmm. and then continue the process. Mm-hmm. Here's here's a tough text that just came in, Todd. I endured several years of marriage to a narcissist. I recently left him. Now he's doing everything to destroy me, my reputation, my finances, my safety. It's a nightmare. How will I get through this? Yeah, and boy, that's such a great point when when there is a when you are trying to escape a severe narcissist and uh, he or she is exploitive and is, you know, set out to ruin your life. The, you know, the only advice I can give is to to know that you you aren't defined by what they're doing and the people that know you well will will see what is true and as you're going through the trauma, you know, get truckloads of support people to hold you and love you through it and and do the very best you can to know that you, that's not going to define who you are. And it's just another confirmation about how ill this person is that's doing this to you. It's yeah. just further confirmation. Yeah, and it's sad and it's hard to go through. But I think this this uh, listener brings up a great point. Like we need to get support around us when that's happening to us. And that's some of the fear that people have. You know, when you're with some, it's, you know, kind of a sociopathic narcissist, they will exploit they are dangerous people. Again, there's not many of them out. I mean, you know, they're not legion. They're not everywhere. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for the, you know, the, the very, very, very small percentage of people that have this, we, we do have to, you know, it is, we do have to really protect ourselves, create boundaries and, and separate and be really firm about that. And when we do that, it will oftentimes be exactly what this person said. But it's the only thing that's going to get her free to know that she... Uh, is free, and she can feel that even though her life is chaotic right now. Mm-hmm. So hopefully the best advice I can give is to is to that I really completely validate everything she's going through, but to to know that the people around her make, make sure she's receiving that love and support from people that really see what is true. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, I will we'll pray for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's this, this is a horrible situation to be in. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my mom was extremely physically and mentally abusive and manipulative to her children. And when we try to 
talk to her, she's in complete denial. Like she doesn't really remember. Yeah. That's it. And again, who knows for sure, but it's probably pretty common that mom grew up in emotional Vietnam and is now creating that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's almost at what we would call a, a dissociative state where the mom is in such denial. She's doing it because of what she saw. She's just continuing to do. And, you know, when you were never able, as when mom was a kid, she was ne- probably never able to confront the parent that was abusing her and saying, hey, you know, this is hurtful. Stop. There's so much denial there. So this person, it's kind of what I said to start the show. Usually the person that's bullying was bullied. Yeah. And so I got to make sure as I'm the kid confronting it, that I'm, I'm, I'm trusting my intention in Jesus to come toward. And I'm also seeing mom's story about why she has no capacity to change that. But I'm going to continue to have good boundaries and know that I'm enough in Jesus and my identity is in him versus how my mom is. And I'm also going to recognize the illness that mom does have. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it's, which doesn't mean we endure it. We create boundaries and change and sometimes have to leave, right? But we're not enduring it, but we are setting good boundaries, but we're understanding the root of it. Yeah. And then we're making sure there's the biggest thing that happens for that adolescent or that young adult or, or the three adult children that are seeing this. They know in their story moving forward, they're creating, going to create a home that's different than this one, and they are all over that in Jesus. And we're making a generational change because we get to. Mm-hmm. And I, that's, I'm empowered by that in Christ yeah. to be intentional about that. In this situation, Todd, it almost sounds like you're asking a, a fish to talk about water and they go, what's water? Yeah. Because they're so involved. They're, they're, that's all they know. That's what they see all they every day. They recognize it because every day. they're just living it out. They are. And that's why support and counseling and kind of being in the word every day to just remind myself what is true because otherwise they are they're just in that emotional state of trauma that's what trauma is so we're we're creating traction by getting good counsel feeling safe getting comfortable to have our voice and to know that uh our main goal there is to 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 receive the love of god to know that we're protected as we create good boundaries Mm -hmm. and it's different for every story you know but when you have severe case, you know, narcissistic personality disorder that's severe and they meet all nine, it, it is much more about a lot of self-protection and be very careful about that. And uh, watch your words carefully, but know that you have the power of Christ in you to know that you're enough as you're setting the boundary and um, trying to change. And, you know, maybe those three um, kids confronted mom together and that's a start. Now, mom received that. Mom was not receiving it. She was in denial. Because that's the safest way for the person who's been through trauma to stay in trauma is to stay in denial about it. And so, but they know as a, as siblings, they know what is true, right? Mm-hmm. They know whose they are in Christ and they know they see mom's brokenness. And that gives you power, Bill, if that makes sense. It gives you power to make changes yourself versus giving power to what happened to them. Mm-hmm. What is the difference between melancholy and moody? Notice where I said moody. It's like I know something about that. <laughs> Be careful how you answer this, Todd. Yeah. I, I want you back on. Yes, correct. I would offer that a melancholic state, you know, somebody that has more of a vulnerability to being melancholy is kind of Eeyore-ish and kind of like low-grade, kind of like, oh, it's kind of hard and just kind of melancholy and colic about things. The moody person might join... 
them in some of that, but then they'll have other the moods that are kind of different than that. Makes sense? Their their moodiness kind of they, they will shift a little bit in their mood, which is actually more normal, if you will. It's you're not always going to be down. You're not always going to be up. You're going to have some moods mm-hmm. that are evolving and changing. Is moodiness something you use to try to control? Yeah, I mean, it can be. It depends on my, what's my intentions, right? Right. So, for example, moodiness is healthy if I'm saying, gal, I think I'm just in a mood today and I'm, ooh, I'm finding myself really agitated easily, huh? I don't know what's going on. So I'm letting the person in and I'm just aware of that and God's holding me in it. So that that's not being controlling. That's letting, that's being a moody person, but I'm aware of it. Does it make okay. sense? Yeah. And I think what happens with people is like, it, a lot of it is just building awareness of who we are and our own tendencies and acknowledging that and working at it versus kind of throwing stones at each other like, hey, you're kind of this and you're kind of that. And if you checked out this and read this book about, you know, who you are and you know, versus, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think, and same even with melancholy, right? If I'm, God, I'm just kind of a low grade in my worst moments. I just kind of get sad and down and really going to God with that. I don't know what that's about. I'm getting help for that. So they're acknowledging it. Yeah. That makes sense? Yeah, it does. It's a lot safer. Todd, thanks for you're being w- here. Thanks for the beverage, which so I enjoyed much. throughout the whole hour. <laughs> Thank you just so, so much. You know, I'm glad I'm you milked Rose, that. Rosie yes. enjoyed her beverage as well. Did you like it, Rosie? Yeah. I absolutely loved yeah. it. Yes. That's yeah. perfect. Great. So I'm looking uh, forward to tomorrow because I'm going to get a chance to be with you again. So thank you for uh, listening to the show today. Maybe you're checking out on podcast. Nice to have you uh, listening any way you like. But I'll see you tomorrow. Have a great night. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.